This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. fierce and lovelies. Welcome to fall. Cooler temperatures and lighter electric bills. I'd like to share with you a recent adult fail of mine. My husband and I were recently informed that somehow for the past 10 months, we have missed that our city now charges three times uh, for electricity during peak hours, which for the summer meant two to seven o'clock at night. Those were the exact hours that my girls did their laundry, that we ran the AC nonstop, and that I would flip on the crock pot for the night. Keeping it real, people, I can only rock so many things. Speaking of rocking things, I did rock this one. I sent my son off to college this month, and he is in his first house with some roommates, and I realized that he had no idea how to shop for himself or cook and feed himself. So the deal with us is that he pays for tuition, but we help him with living expenses. So if he was going to be eating on our dime, I was going to teach him how. So it was hilarious to realize that he didn't know what a store brand was. He had didn't know how to look at price per pound. He didn't know how to gather produce. So I decided that other parents might be in a similar boat and I put it all together in a resource I am calling Feed Yourself, a master class for college students. And so I'm sending it out to my newsletter list this week. If you are not yet subscribed to my email list, uh, make sure you do it before Friday. I will share a link on how to do that in the show notes. But eating well is one of the many topics that we touch on in today's episode with my guest, Veronica Squires. Veronica is the Chief Administration Officer at Good Samaritan Health Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and co-author of the book, How Neighborhoods Make Us Sick, Restoring Health and Wellness to Our Communities. In this conversation, we talk about dashed dreams, the community that made her sick, and how to reframe the whole idea of calling. Hi, Veronica. Welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Hey, Beth. Thanks so much for having me. I am excited to talk with you today and learn more about you and your work. Uh, I just finished your book recently and absolutely loved it. So would you mind starting us off by telling my listeners a little bit about who you are and where you are and a little bit of the work that you do? Sure, I'd be happy to. 
Well, I work for the Good Samaritan Health Center, which is on the west side of Atlanta. I'm the chief administrative officer, so I handle all of the business functions like fundraising, marketing, communications, HR, all that fun stuff. Um, I'm also a working mom. I have two young girls, Aubrey, who's five, and Emma, who's one. And um, I'm also involved in a number of different community causes related to efforts that can help make neighborhoods healthier. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Good Samaritan um, and just the community that you serve in West Atlanta? Yes, I'd love to. I love Good Samaritan. And from the moment I interviewed here about five years ago, I just fell in love with their vision for health and wellness. So we are a charitable clinic, which means we operate on a sliding fee scale for patients that either don't have insurance, are underinsured, or are experiencing homelessness. And for these patients, we provide essentially a one-stop shop for the whole family when it comes to their medical care, dental care, counseling, psychiatry, specialty services, as well as we have an on-site urban farm. So we grow and harvest fresh produce that's sold at a daily farmer's market because we're located in a food desert and um, fresh food access is difficult for our patients. We also have an on-site fitness center, as well as some just beautiful event space so that patients can find a place to sit and look at the skyline or meditate and just have a place that is a beautiful built environment for them to enjoy. So the whole idea is that we provide a full circle of health experience for patients who otherwise really wouldn't have access to these services. Hmm. I love all of those multi-layered things and just how you go about health from all different angles. That's so beautiful and it just feels biblical. I agree. And our founder, Dr. Bill Warren, who is an Atlanta pediatrician and got his um, degree at Emory for being a pediatrician, um, I'm just amazed that years and years ago, 21 years ago, when he had this vision that it was so progressive because, you know, now everybody's talking about the social determinants of health. But 21 years ago, the idea of a doctor prescribing fresh fruits and vegetables and then providing them at a farmer's market outside the clinic doors was was not a thing. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm just amazed at the vision that he had from the beginning for, for this ministry. So, Veronica, for those of my listeners who haven't heard that term before, social determinants of health, or even the phrase food desert, can you just quickly define what you mean by those? Sure. So social determinants of health are the conditions in which we're born, live, work, grow, play, and age that affect our health and health outcomes. So you can really just think of this as anything in our environment or related to social structure and power structures that impact how we're able to live our lives and our quality of life. So these would be things like access to fresh produce, uh, presence or absence of crime, um, nice built environment. And by that, I mean things like safe streets and sidewalks and stop signs. So just all of those factors that we live live with every day. Um, and then food desert is this concept that if you live in an area, in an urban center, it's a three mile radius. But if you live in a three mile radius and you don't have 
a grocery store or a food access point where you can get healthy food. So a gas station doesn't count. A corner store doesn't count, but like a, a real healthy food access point. If you don't have access to that, then you're considered to live in a food desert. I remember in grad school having a class where one of our projects was to try and feed ourselves or feed our family on a certain amount of money in the closest gas station that we could get to. And I remember going in there, it was next door to like a pizza hut or something like that. And the goal was to feed my family health and with healthy food. And my options were a banana for a dollar, um, maybe some cheese sticks and processed lunch meat. And it all ended up being far more expensive just for that, mostly processed food and outrageously priced banana. It was more expensive than just buying a pizza and a two liter of Coke next door from Pizza Hut to feed my family. And that was so eye-opening for me. Uh, I wasn't living in a food desert, but to try and imagine what that would be like for those to be my shopping options was shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's exactly what the lived experience feels like for a lot of these families that are living in a food desert. So Veronica, how did you get into this work? How did you get into urban development um, work? And and you even moved into the community that Good Samaritan is in. Am I remembering that correctly? I lived in an area a little bit further southwest of Good Samaritan for about 10 years. And now I do actually live right around the corner from Good Samaritan in a similar community that is slightly more gentrified because this side of the city is changing and developing rapidly. Um, but I really credit InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for getting me involved in this work when I was a college student. I became really involved in their on-campus ministry that focused a lot on racial reconciliation and social justice matters. And it was the first time in my Christian walk that I'd really seen Christians engage with these issues and saw the faith walk as being more than just kind of a personal spiritual journey, but actually something that should impact the way that we live and exist in the world and maybe even the way that we vote and advocate. Um, And so throughout InterVarsity throughout my college experience, I really dove into this head first. I learned a lot about community redevelopment, a lot about social justice. And by the time I was graduating at the end of my senior year and my husband and I were getting married, we both felt very moved to make a kind of a countercultural decision to move into a low-income community in Southwest Atlanta to essentially put into practice the community redevelopment lessons that we had learned, as well as practice our faith by living out um, a mission in this community. And so we moved in with a lot of training and great ideas and high expectations. And what we found pretty quickly was that even with all of our willingness to be there and ideas and program execution, that our neighbors really weren't getting better. Their situations weren't improving. For example, Running a tutoring program out of our house on Saturday mornings doesn't make up for a huge lack of resources in the local school system or helping someone who's been previously incarcerated apply for jobs doesn't make up for a social bias against people who have a record. And so we just kept hitting these walls and found ourselves asking the question a lot, what what would it take to lift our neighbors out of 
sickness, whether it be physical sickness, financial sickness, etc. And then along that same time frame, we found that we ourselves, our own family was also exhibiting signs of sickness that we had not exhibited in our sheltered lives growing up in, in the suburbs of where we're from. And so it just really caused us to ask the question of, well, what, what is making these communities sick? What's making our neighbors sick? And around that time, I started working at the Good Samaritan Health Center, which was like a light bulb answer when I first came and saw the center and saw how holistically we care for people, the compassion that we offer. It really just seemed like so much of the answer for what communities like mine were struggling with. Um, Certainly we don't do everything, but it's a great first step in getting people on the road to healing, particularly as it relates to mental illness, which is so rampant in these communities um, and lack of access to critical resources like medication or fresh produce um, or even a place, safe place to exercise. These were all things that my former neighbors really needed, but just weren't available in that neighborhood. So have you been able to look at comparable family situations in the two neighborhoods and kind of compare and see the difference of an involvement in a center like Good Samaritan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I talk about in a whole chapter of the book is just the dynamic of generational poverty and the impact of that on girls having babies early, especially as teens. And when we were in our our former neighborhood where there was no health center, we just observed the cycle happening again and again where young women, young teens would get pregnant, have babies, and the whole process of the pregnancy, there was no prenatal education, there was no insight into how to breastfeed, there was even limited knowledge about how to spend WIC and food stamps once they became available. And so once the babies were born, they often came early or premature. Um, there was just, again, a lack of understanding of proper nutrition for these infants. And then the, the young teens really didn't understand so many of just the fundamentals of how to parent. And so I just watched with this um, ache in my heart because as a Christian person, I obviously believe in life and that we should be on the side of life. But what I find a lot in the Christian church world is that we're often on the side of birth, but not necessarily the side of life where we want every baby to be born. But then what do we help these mothers do with these children once they're here? How do we help them raise up these infants to be healthy children? And the difference at Good Good Samaritan is that we have a prenatal program that all of our pregnant moms are part of. And as they go through this program, they learn everything they need to know about being a parent from a culturally relevant standpoint. They learn about breastfeeding and CPR and infant care. When they, when the baby, right before the baby's born, they get a brand new car seat as a gift from us for completing the program. And then of course, all throughout, they're able to get their ultrasounds, their check-ins, their tummy checks, advice from their provider, and an ongoing relationship with someone who essentially becomes their medical home, their provider to be their medical home. Um, And the difference there is transformative. Um, You see babies that are born at closer to full term, healthier weight, 
you see mothers that now understand the importance of just talking with their babies and how that helps brain development. You see mothers attempting to breastfeed, which maybe they wouldn't have otherwise without that education and training. So it, it really isn't an overstatement to say that it changes everything. Wow. Yeah, I really see that. And that's powerful. I'm sure it was difficult to be in the former community and watch the cycle and feel so limited in your ability to to meet some of those needs. And I'm curious, Veronica, as you reflect back to what it was like living there for, for all of those years, particularly the theme of this podcast and just finding the intersection of our own fierce and lovely, where did you have to harness that in your life um, to be to be there and to be present and to be with hard stories like that and, and just frustrating systemic problems like you saw, how did you have to harness your fierce and lovely to live in, in that community? Well, I guess I should say first that I haven't always felt fierce and lovely. And I think there was a long time in the neighborhood that I felt really small and unable and impotent, not really equipped to deal with the hard realities that were unfolding around me. And so I think because we were there for almost a full decade, there were years, I mean, not even just moments, but years of really wondering, why did God bring me here? What what is the purpose? I don't feel like I'm helping anyone. And in those times, I really had to just cling to the truth that God was good and that God loved me like a father loves a daughter and that there was a purpose for what I was experiencing, even though I couldn't see it at the time. Um, I will say even with that as a foundation, I still really struggled a lot with discouragement. I struggled with depression and, and still do um, as a result of the experience because I had not had issues with that prior to living in the neighborhood. And so I think there were a lot of moments that it felt like too much to bear. Um, I'm an empath- empathet- empathetic person who really carries people's challenges in my heart and having so many challenges surrounding me day in and day out was almost too much. Um, Mm-hmm. But the the benefit of hindsight, now looking back on that experience, I can see that God in, in really his severe and merciful love for these communities that are sick was allowing me to experience that so that it would almost be like seared into my heart such that once I was on the other side, like I am now, I could never forget. And I do find that that is true, that God has really just put this as a fire in my spirit that I've, I've lived there. I know what these families experienced. I feel it, even though I was there as a, a dual income family with health insurance, I still feel it to a degree because we lived there when it rained on the neighborhood, it rained on our house too. Um, and so I think that that really is a is a gift now again in hindsight looking back in that as i do this work and i help to grow this health center and i speak with families that are thinking through their treatment plans i know i know deep 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 what it is that they're going through and it just it it really drives and propels me to do this work 
every day. So I think now the dynamic of fierce and lovely plays out in that I want to be both of those things as an advocate for our patients and as an advocate for these communities that, like I was, are probably too overwhelmed, stressed, tired, and discouraged sometimes to advocate for themselves and need a voice on the other side that can articulate what they're going through and what they need to heal. You know, it it makes me think about your story is also, it's one of suffering and it's suffering with, again, it's empathizing. You too suffered the effects of, of living in a sick community. Um, And I just, I think so many of us are like you and your husband, right out of school, full of dreams and calling, a sense of purpose and wanting to go into ministry or a particular work, full of passion. And so often those hopes are dashed. So often um, it's hard. It's, and it's, the big question throughout is why God and what's the point and what's the purpose. And um, in the midst of that feeling like that is too difficult to find or to see. And I'm, you've talked a little bit about processing that, but I'm, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what that journey was like for you um, to go, to feel like God was calling you into something. And then you wondered where he was at times in the midst of that And I'm just wondering for those of my listeners who find themselves in a similar spot right now, a difficult place uh, full of dashed hopes and dreams, what maybe were some difficult decisions that you made to leave? And how did you know when it was time to leave? So I guess there's two questions in there for you, Veronica. In terms of the second question, in terms of knowing when it was time to leave, that was really difficult because... On the one hand, like you articulated so well, we had this passion, we had this calling, we very much felt like this was a God project. We were going into the community in partnership with God to hopefully be part of John Perkins' three R's, relocation, racial reconciliation, and redistribution of resources. And we had this plan and these ideas, and it just didn't look like that. And then there were these costs to our own family. And particularly once my first daughter was born, I had a lot of concern about safety. And so there came this point where we had this sense of calling, but then there were also just these realities in front of us that it obviously wasn't working and our own family was languishing and that that didn't appear to be helping anyone. So there came this point where even though I definitely struggled with feeling like we were failing spiritually as a mom, I just had to open my eyes and look around and say, we're not healthy. Our family is not doing well. And I don't believe that it is God's will for our family to fall apart and suffer in this way. So even though it was messy and confusing Ultimately, I had to stand on that I'm knowing that God cares about my family being healthy, because if he cares about the neighborhood being healthy, he has to care about my family being healthy, too. And I just had to trust that maybe the calling was going to evolve and look different, but would still 
be there. And that has very much been how it's turned out. Um, I think I very much still feel like I'm doing the same work, but in a different capacity and from a different place. And it was interesting because this past weekend, it was like life came full circle. I ended up tabling at a health fair at the park in my old neighborhood. And as I was standing there engaging with the residents, it was just like God was giving this sweet gift to my spirit of, see, you're still in this work. You're still doing it. It just looks a little bit different. Um, and so I would just encourage listeners to, to think about in what way have they put the calling in a box in the sense of it has to look this certain way. Um, and being open, having your eyes and your heart open to the calling and what that looks like evolving over time. Um, Cause it may not always look exactly the same. One other thing, just practical thing that I did a lot when we were in our neighborhood and things were really hard is I felt like there was an absence of beauty in my life and I just needed more things that were beautiful. And so I started doing artwork a lot. I started gardening more and planting flowers, um, taking materials that, had been discarded and then making something pretty out of it. Um, I did a little bit of dumpster diving where I saw this old bench that someone put out on the street that looked like with a couple new slats and a fresh coat of paint could be a nice place to sit. And so I literally worked on this bench on my front porch uh, over the course of a few weeks. And it was totally a therapeutic spiritual exercise for me of taking something that was broken, had been thrown out in the trash and making it beautiful again. And I think actually going through that physical, like bodily experience of creating something beautiful from something that was broken was a way that I tried to keep reminding myself that God was doing that and would do that in my life, even if I couldn't see it in the moment. So that's been so true for me as well. There's something about making spaces of beauty when we're around so much hard and clinging to that and seeing God in that. Well, back to my first question, let me try and rephrase that because that was kind of a long-winded question. What what did you do with your faith in the midst of feeling like this calling was confusing and not going the way that you probably had felt promised by God that it would it would look. And you had John Perkins and all of the ministry of Christian Community Development Association as a model of this is what it looks like. If you step out in faith, this is what can happen in communities. Okay, I'm being long-winded with my question again. What did you do with your faith in the midst of those dashed dreams? Yeah, I, I think there's an awesome song that actually sums up a lot of what the experience was uh, on the faith side. And that's Nicole Nordeman's song, The Unmaking. And it's just this beautiful song where she refers to her faith as like a building that's kind of now broken down and given way. And so she's describing being in the rubble and looking up and all she can see is the stars. And I still listen to the song all the time and it like moves me to tears because it's just so, it's such a great description of what happened in the faith process for me of kind of going in and having this really like solid idea of how it was going to be and what it was going to look like and how I was called and 
what God wanted for my neighbors and how I was going to accomplish that. And, you know, uh, the, the tracks that I would lead people through to come to know Jesus as their savior, all these things that are still good and relevant and true, but it was just like this sense of control. I I think we want to go in and we want to have it together and we want to understand and we want to make change and we want to be the leaders. Um, And I definitely went in with kind of those thoughts and expectation and, when things didn't happen that way and these pieces started to crumble and it was like, no, that doesn't work that way. Or no, that idea or that tenant just doesn't seem like it makes sense here in this community. Um, it's like things started to give way and eventually the building was gone and all I could see was the stars. All I could see was what was left and look upward toward heaven and kind of say before the Lord, like, okay, there's clearly some pieces that I didn't understand. There's obviously still mystery to you that I haven't and may never figure out. Help me to start to rebuild these pieces, but in a way that is of you in every step and not just what I thought and something that I created. And that's something Nicole Norderman says in the song is, kind of what happens now when all I've made is torn down, what happens next when all of you is all that's left. And that's kind of the point where I got to is like, all I know is that God is true and God loves me. So what do we build from there? It definitely was a a journey (laughs) in that sense too. Well, I think that's a great way to, to end today with that encouraging note that as long as we are still holding on to this is true and I will continue to wrestle out all of the other trappings and all of my other missteps and all of the things that are discouraging and disappointing, but this remains true. God remains true. And that's what I'm left with at the, at the end of it all. And I just need to hold on to that. Um, So Veronica, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing with us a little bit more of your heart um, for the city and your work. And I will encourage everyone to go and grab a copy of How Neighborhoods Make Us Sick. And I'll put links in the show notes to where they can do that. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This concludes episode 43 of the Fierce and Lovely podcast. And as a reminder, a few quick things of places where you can find me and engage more around these topics. We're starting a new Facebook group called the Fierce and Lovely podcast, where you can come in and join the conversation there. I have a new Instagram page as well, Fierce and Lovely, where I am uh, posting various things related to the show and other Fierce and Lovely experiences and guides that I have been working on. Would love for you to leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. It means so much to podcasters. And what it does really is it links, it it populates suggestions to others who might enjoy the show and it helps people find it. So I would so appreciate you leaving a rating and a review over there and sharing with your friends, inviting others to join this conversation with fierce and lovely women so that you too find your own fierce and lovely story. Thanks for listening. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been on the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.